the first time I met Billy Humphrey. <laughs> Do you remember the first time we ever met? When we went, when we had coffee over at the, the bookstore. We had uh, coffee together. And um, it was interesting because I had, what little I knew about this guy was quite frankly a little bit, I was <laughs> a little suspicious. Because <laughs> I had heard rumors of this like house of prayer thing and it didn't. So we're going there tonight. He didn't going, tell me where we were going, but we're going there. <laughs> we're going there just a little bit. But we'll dive back in. Just, so I was, but I, what little I knew was a little bit interesting. I said, I don't know, you know, because I, you know, I knew some people were involved in the house of prayer and didn't know what was going on. I just, you know, I, I got a very broad view of the Christian faith. And you got like the mainline people. Then you, then you got the peripheral people that are a little, a little weird on the edge. But we love them. They're part of the family. So I, I would like put Billy in that category. <laughs> Mind you, I had no real evidence to do that. It was just my mindset at the, um, at the time. But something happened in my life in 2014 that began to shake me a little bit in, in regard to my own personal walk into intimacy with God. And then I felt led to, to get together with this guy for coffee. And I was desperate. You know, man, I, I wanted a band of brothers to run with. And I came on a little strong during that coffee, as you recall, right? <laughs> I, mean, I remember it. I was looking at him. I was like, man, I think this guy's got something that, that I need to learn about. And, and I said, man, I just want some, I just want some guys to, I just, I just need to get in covenant. And I remember he could play out this like I'm like proposing to him or something. And Billy's like, well, wait, wait just a minute. I don't even know you. <laughs> do you. Do you recall it a little bit I like totally that? I totally remember this whole conversation, yes. It was, a, it was, but I remember just being desperate. But that was my first, you know, first kind of observation to him. And I was like, man, this guy really knows what he's, knows what he's talking about. So um, I invite him to come to our church that night and speak on a Wednesday night because we're doing a prayer emphasis. So I said, man, I'm bringing the, I'm bringing the guy, the guru on prayer. He's going to come and speak to us on a Wednesday night. And I'll never forget, you came on a Wednesday night and I introduced you. You came up and like, like the first thing you said was, you know, I, I really, you know, I get called, I'm not the prayer guy, you know. I'm just not the prayer guy. And I remember my balloon busted a little bit. It's like, well, I thought you were going to teach us. I thought you had me. You're the, you're the director of the house of prayer. We want to learn how to pray. But I'll never forget, you said, no, I'm actually a Jesus guy. I just want, I want to talk about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I heard you say that, I didn't have the vocabulary for any of that. But I was like, yeah. Because isn't it funny? Because I never connected prayer with Jesus at the level that you were saying it. Wow. I never. I knew prayer was a thing. It was. It was important. But you spoke on that. You said that in a way that just like, all right, there's something. Mm-hmm. There's something really here, you know, about the intimacy with Jesus. So I, I want to read one passage, and I want you to reflect on this passage of scripture. We didn't prepare for any of this, but I just <laughs> wanted to like. I just want to put it out before you, and um, it's a passage that you quote also well, because I I might be a lot like some of you out there there was some books in the bible that quite frankly i just never read or i skipped over them or i just didn't see the i did i didn't see the point even why it was there i didn't i didn't know what i was missing mm. but one of the books was the song of solomon sure i mean i mean when i would read the book of song of solomon i said you know i really don't understand why this is even in the bible and there's some like good quotes maybe from maybe maybe god was helping the you know hallmark card industry for some nice things to say but i just didn't really i didn't really get the whole song of solomon book in fact, I was very offended at times when I would hear songs that had, you know, verses in it that were highly intimate verses with Jesus. It just, it just is almost like repulsive to me at first, all right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that way now, but you went through a metamorphosis 
as it relates to this. I have gone through a dramatic change yeah. in this. And this verse found in Song of Solomon 8 says simply this. It says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealous as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. So I just want to like punt that to you a little bit. And just, just yeah. you know, you weren't always the intimacy guy. But, but you were this, and now you're that, and something happened. Well, and, you know, uh, many waters cannot quench love, nor can floods drown. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. And the verse six, because uh, you're reading the ESV, right? Yeah, actually it was in the New Living Translation. Oh, New by Living. Mistake, yeah. So uh, New King James says, the flames of love are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. So yeah, I mean, it was, um, it would have been 2002. Yeah, right there at the end of 2002, before I ever really even heard, I think, any message out of Song of Solomon. And, um, you know, I'd been saved, gosh, whatever. Um, I, got, I got saved in like 86. So whatever that is, 14, 16 years mm-hmm. before I like ever heard a mess, one message out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember they would quote the one verse, little foxes spoil the vine, right? right? And you quote, kind of quote it as a proverb. <clears throat> little issues of your life will, will mess up your mm-hmm. whole life kind of thing. But, um, Never got around it. Always thought it was the fruitiest, <laughs> like what you're saying. No, totally. like, this is the fruitiest thing in the Bible. Why is this in here? And, um, and I remember uh, this connection on this passage because I was a fire, and I still am. Like, so what I'm going to say, I was, I still am that, but it was like it got really laser focused when I understood more about God's love, mm-hmm. right? But I was a fire and revival and repentance guy. That's my main message. Holiness, repentance, revival, and intercession was we're going we're gonna to shout until you sweat, lose your voice, and if somebody falls out, we've won. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. That's the, you know, we're going to go as hard as we can and just sort of like, like a, a football player, leave it all on the field or something, right? And then I remember uh, starting to hear the intimacy message about God's affections for us. And I thought that's a really odd way to say it. But if you say God loves us, that means he, he has affections for us. And I thought, huh, but God has, a, he has affections for us. Wow, that's in- interesting to me. And then the verses, like he, he has the hairs of your head, all the hairs are numbered. All your days are written in a book. His thoughts of you are as many as the sands of the seashore. And these verses, they, they began to touch me really deeply. Like, he, he really, he's, he's fond of us. He, he says, you know, Psalm 16, he calls the, the saints his excellent ones in whom is all his delight. Or his, he takes pleasure in us. He takes pleasure in us, his people. And I remember those verses started hitting me like, 
this is more than I, you know, like, because my Christianity at that time was, I go hard for God, and then if I do it right enough, you know, loud enough, big enough, mm-hmm. then maybe God will answer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he's so kind. He'll meet us even in our misunderstandings of him. And, uh, and so I'm in that mode, and then he's starting to touch me with the revelation of his love. But this verse caused everything to converge for me because uh, the New American Standard actually says it's the very flame, and, and the New American Standard says, of Jah, which is Jehovah. Mm-hmm. Love is the fire of God. Man, and when that hit me, then our God is a consuming fire, a, a jealous God. The fire that he is, is love. And the core reality of his being is love. When that hit me, when, that, when I was able to see that, that everything he's burning from is love. It's the affections of his heart for people. That shifted so much of what I understood God to be like and what, I, what he wanted from me. And so in, in this passage, the maiden, uh, the, 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 so it's the bridegroom, and he's saying, set me as the seal upon your heart. So the response of the maiden would then be, seal my heart with fire. Seal my heart. That's where all my emotions are. Put your fire on my heart so I'm burning in love. Because I, in my mind, I had the fire of God as yeah. something intense, something powerful, and I had the love of God as something sort of light and fruity. I mean, mm-hmm. just, just, just not very powerful. Mm-hmm. And I, I was completely in misunderstanding about who yeah. God is. Yeah. And that, that the fire of God and the love of God, they're one thing. It's one reality. So if I wanted to be passionate, it wasn't just being filled with fire. It was being filled with the love of God, which is the fire of God. So just a thought there, because I know for me, being a spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christian, I, mean, I knew I had experienced like the power of God. I mean, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But I never drew the line between power and love. I never right. drew the line between love and fire. Right. So when you have these, we're getting ready to, to celebrate the day of Pentecost right. in less than two weeks. They had fire fall on them. They had them. fire fall upon them. And I was like, I was thinking, oh, that's just like pure, you know, like electric, electricity. But when, when you say like that, that makes me begin to wonder what was really happening in the upper room right. when fire was hitting them. Maybe it was love. They were getting baptized yeah. in the love of yeah. God. Well, because God is love. So if the Holy Spirit falls on you, guess what? He's going to be holy. That's his first name. And it's going to be love because God is love. Yeah. And so... Uh, when, the, when I was able to put together that being on fire, being passionate for God was being in love, when that fused in my mind, it was like my world changed because I realized, oh, if I want to be filled with fire, I have to be filled with love. Yeah. And, and then, you know, the New Testament bears these truths out. Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that you would be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man, that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith, that you would be rooted and grounded in love. And you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, there's the height, the width, the depth, the length, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. So Paul ties this point together that if you want might on the inside of you, it's about being baptized 
in every dimension with the love of God. You know, and the greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world that, that John talks about. That's about a living revelation of the love of God for you. That's what it's about. And, and this is the thing that really, once I started seeing this, that fire and love were one, then that passage I always quote, John 15, 9, where Jesus says, abide, remain in my love, abide in my love. That concept, I realized, oh, love isn't Christianity 101. Well, it is Christianity 101, the love of God, and it's Christianity 901. It's, it's everything. And even faith, John tells us, faith works by love. (laughs) And so you, it's inescapable that, that love is what is supposed to be powering us. It is what is supposed to be compelling us. And that's, that's what he says. The love of God, that's what Paul said, compels us. It compels our hearts. And so, um, when I took the idea of love out of being sort of, because I remember being, being taught love, you, you got to walk in love, do love, right? And, and I grew up trying to do love without knowing love. Yeah, that's a good word. Say and, that and you, that's, good, that's good thought. Say that again. That's, yeah, I grew up trying to be loving, because I know Christians love. are loving, without knowing love. I tried to do love without yeah, being right. loved. Yeah. And, and he says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But we can only love God if we know that God loves us. And and John, he unpacked this point. He says, we love him because he first loved us. So even in the first and second commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor yourself, uh, it presupposes that you've had a richness and a revelation and encounter with the love of God yourself. You've known love. Even marriage, it's so it's so continuous and comprehensive through the New Testament. Even marriage, a husband has to love his wife, how? As Christ loves the church. Well, the only way that he can actually do love is by being loved. Because otherwise he's just trying to sort of manufacture something that he doesn't have. And so, beloved, the thing that we have to recognize, and this is what we were talking about today, and it just, it's burning in me right now. We've got to get ourselves out of immature Christianity and come to maturity and love. Because mature Christianity isn't about, I'm doing all the fruit of the Spirit. It's about allowing love to overwhelm you, to break your shame, to destroy all your, your excuses, the love of God to completely overwhelm you, overcome you, and then transform you so that from that well of the love of God burning inside of you, you can then begin to walk in love. And, and if, we don't, if we don't realize that love is the point, yeah. we, we are missing this life. We don't do evangelism because all those wicked sinners are going to hell. Yes, we don't want people to go to hell, but why do we not want them to go to hell? Because God doesn't want them to go to hell. And why does God not want them to go to hell? Because he is in love with them. Right. God so loved the world. 
Love compels our evangelism. It compels our compassion for the poor, for the hurting. It compels us to want to see acts of justice. The love of Jesus compelled me, a compassion on the multitudes. He wanted to make the wrong things right. It's always back to knowing love and allowing love to compel the heart. And this is where it has to come down to. If this if, if what's compelling you isn't causing you to grow in love, you need to get something else to compel you because otherwise you will burn out. It will be some human means that you're trying to manufacture, some outrage culture thing, pressing you into trying to try harder, do better, do more, make it happen. And none of those things are what the human heart is made for. The human heart is made, you're made to run on one fuel, the love of God. And this is just the other point we made today. There's a song that we were singing with my family. Man, I feel teary even thinking about this. I was singing with my family last night. We, we do worship together on Tuesdays. And um, there's this old song uh, called more, more Than Ashes. It says, I'm more than what these ashes say. They will fade away when you come for me. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, by, by faith and grace in Christ, by, by grace and faith in Christ, I'm saved. And I'm not the same when you look at me. And, and then he goes on and he says, there's going to be a wedding. It's the reason why I'm living. To marry the lamb. And beloved, uh-huh. our path to maturity is coming to grips with that thought right there. The whole of your life, every up and down, every trial, every challenge, every blessing Every negative thing is all about making you a comparable partner for Jesus Christ. You are on a collision course with Jesus. He's the destination. That's right. I love that you, you came up with that phrase. I don't know if you got it from someone else, but that you've said that and just really taught us that thought. Jesus is the destination. Jesus is the reason. He's our purpose. Jesus is our calling. Yeah. We get all confused about all the details of this life. Jesus is it. Because here's the deal. We're going to marry him. We're going to be infinitely joined. Joined to him for infinity. We're going to be joined eternally to Jesus. This is what your life is about. It's about being readied in love, crafted by God to marry Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. All Matthew 22, very clear. He says, the kingdom of heaven, the whole kingdom of heaven is like a father who's preparing a wedding for his son. So to follow that metaphor a little bit is knowing what you just said, right? That we're going to marry Jesus. We're going to marry Jesus. We're going to marry him. Then that makes the entire book of Song of Solomon make absolute sense. <laughs> totally. Doesn't it, right? Totally. If, if, if that's the reality of things that we're going to marry, that's the bridal, that I'm, I'm, the, I'm the bride, he's the bridegroom, I'm going to marry him. And then when, when I know that, and I, now I start reading the Song of Solomon as this metaphor between the, bride, the you know, maid and the bridegroom, it's like, it's, like, it's like, bam. Now here's something. Amy said something on Sunday. She says, before you can get fixed, you got to get diagnosed. So good. You got to get diagnosed. You got to get the diagnosis before you get, I forget the word remedy or whatever, right. whatever the answer. So when I look at my life, right, and I got a feeling some of you out there listening to this are not unlike me. I lived most of my Christian life without this. I was saved. 
I was spirit-filled. I, I mean, I had encounters. I mean, I, I, I experienced the power of God. I watched, like you, I watched signs and wonders, but I, I had missed this. I had completely missed this whole thing we're talking about. Never saw it. So diagnose somebody. How, do you, how does one begin to recognize in their own life they are living outside of being fully alive in the love of God. We know this now, that to be alive in the love of God is the highest form of life. It's the, it's the best form of living you'll, you'll, you'll ever get, living alive in the love of God. But how do we begin, how do we like see the diet? How do we know, yeah. how do I know when I'm not living? Because you don't know what you don't know, right? Totally. So how do you know that I'm living outside of this that you're describing? Yeah, so I think what happens is people get into a performance mentality and they believe if they do better god loves them more yeah so so this would be a symptom if you feel like when you do better you know you read your bible the right amount yeah you prayed the right amount you did something good for somebody today if you feel like when you do better god loves you more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that's a good sign that you do have you have no concept of the love of God. Or the opposite is true. If you do bad, he if loves you, you less. If you feel like when you've done badly, he loves you less. Yeah. That 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 is a good sign. That's a that's a that's a symptom of not knowing yeah. the love of God. Yeah. And and so in Song of Solomon chapter one, we see the the maiden. She's in a crisis, and she she says, "I've kept everyone else's vineyard." but I haven't tended to my own. Mm-hmm. And she said, my, my mother's sons, speaking of like the church, yeah. they, they put me to work is the idea. They were mad with me. They put me to work and I have, I've been burned by the sun. Yeah. And she says this, she says, I am dark, but I'm lovely. Mm-hmm. And that concept of that, even in our weakness, even in our spiritual crises, even in being burned out, even in our mistakes and failures. So mistakes, you didn't mean to, you just blew it, right? You performed poorly. Failures, you actually sinned. In all of those dark things, right? He still loves you the same. He loves you the same. If when you fail, you feel like God must not love me. The shame overwhelms the sense of God's delights. That's a good sign you do not know the love of God. And this, I would say, is it's the 101 of love that he loves you regardless of your performance. He loves you whether you do poorly, whether you do well. He's radically in love with you and your performance does not impact his affections for you. And I can prove it for you. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, but just could put your name in there because you are that. God so loved Alicia, right? That while she was yet a sinner, Christ died for her. I mean, that while we were distant, enemies of God, Romans says it, Romans 5, verse 8, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The idea that God loved you so much that he would give Jesus for you even before you said yes to him. I'm proving to you that your performance 
doesn't earn his love. It didn't earn it before you got saved. And guess what? It doesn't earn it after you got saved. He loves you in spite of your weakness, in spite of your frailty, in spite of your mistakes. And that's one of the things, a lot of Christians, they live you know, basically holy lives, but they're always feeling like they're not performing well enough. They're not doing enough. They're not trying hard enough. That's right. And they get under the yeah, shame right. thing. They think God doesn't love me. And the, it can, right. nothing can be further from the truth. God loves you no matter how well you perform. And here's the point. Once you touch that, you don't, you don't want to blow it. You don't want to laze off and slack off and not lean in. Once you touch this thing, the, the reality of the love of God that compels your heart, that fills you with purpose, that makes you realize this is what I'm actually constructed for, I'm made for this. Once you touch it a little bit, you, you do not want anything else. It's like your whole life you've been eating Alpo and somebody goes and slides that out of the way and puts a filet mignon right in front of you and you take the first bite, you go, whoa, yeah. what have I been doing this whole time? Yeah. I mean, it's both meat, but one is so oh. inferior to the other. And so when you begin to live compelled by the love of God, you will not want anything else and you will not want anything to inhibit. Somebody says, well, you know, if you just teach everybody that God loves them, no matter how well they do, they're just going to slack off. And I go, no, 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 no. That's completely false. And here's how I know it because, and I, we love to say this, we got this from our, you know, our, our dear friend, Mike Bickle, a lover outworks a worker 10 times out of 10. If I go home and my wife says my name in her little sweet way and she's got some honeydews for me to do, it's over. <laughs> it's just do it. over because I love her. Yeah. But if I show up as a worker to the house and then my wife tries to hit me with the list of things, the worker's going to go, well, that's going to cost you this amount of money over this amount of time and all that. The worker, they think completely differently than the lover. Yeah. And man, if we are serving God yeah. out of love, it's... It, it is such a different world than being compelled out of shame or duty. And, um, and, and I would just say this, that the whole of this life is knowing the love of God and obeying because of love, yeah. following because of love. And when you touch that, maturity begins to birth in your soul. You start ridding yourself of shame. You start quit judging yourself by what other people's opinions are. That's another symptom. If you feel more affirmed when everybody likes you, when you're getting praise of men, it's a good sign you don't know the affections of the father. You don't know the love of the bridegroom. You know, there's something that settles in you. And it's not that you're rebellious, like I don't care what anybody thinks but there's something that settles down on the inside of you. It's called confidence in love. First mm -hmm. John 2, 28, we will have confidence before him mm -hmm. at the judgment if we abide in him. Well, guess where else you'll have confidence? With everybody else. I have a pastor friend. He's a uh, pastor of a, a large church in, in Birmingham, Alabama. And, um, and he came and sat with me in my office one time. And... Um, and he just, he said, how are you doing? What, what, how are things going? I said, man, you know, there not much changes every, and everything changes. You know, in the house of prayer, we just kind of plow along and just keep loving and serving Jesus and just trust the Lord to lead us. And then he does all these things that we couldn't have made happen because we're just yeah. praying. And then he just starts making stuff happen. 
And he said something really odd to me. I've never had anybody say this because I never saw myself this way. He said, you're the most at ease leader I've ever met. I go, like me? Like I? That's not your typical no, in the past. No, at ease? I, I'm, you know, I think of myself, I'm, I'm a passionate guy. I have my emotions up and down a lot. He goes, you're the most at ease leader I've ever met. He goes, why? I go, that is a really odd thing for you to say. And this guy, I mean, I really respect, it's Kyle Searcy. Do you know Kyle? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just awesome guy. I know him, yeah. And their, their ministry is just great. I really respect him. For him to say that, I was really touched. Mm. And, and he said, yeah, you are at ease. And he goes, I don't know anybody that is quite as at ease at you that, as you that has so many things that God is giving you to, 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 to lead and do. He goes, what do you, he goes, please tell me, what do you attribute that to? And in that moment, I just looked at him. I said, I, I just believe he loves me. And if he loves me, mm. I can't fail. Yeah, I can't, I can't fail because he, he, he loves me. He likes me. He genuinely likes me and loves me. And that switch had to be thrown. I mean, have you had a moment like that when that, when that, when that was thrown for you? I Lisa? feel like I have. I mean, that moment yeah. when you, you just kind of like, oh my gosh. Yeah, and me. I actually had a question because I know for a lot of people it happens once and then it kind of burns out a little Please. bit. <laughs> and so... You were mentioning that it's been like 10 years or a little bit over. So how do you continually keep that flame burning throughout life and all the ups and downs? Right, because it's a journey, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, we know each other really well. Alicia's my assistant, so we talk all the time. Yeah. And and I know you've been encountered deeply with the love of God. Tears moved powerfully by his yeah, love. Sure. And then at times you're like struggling with, man, I just, am I doing enough, you know? And, yeah. And that's just real. And, and I think I feel all those same same things try to crowd my mind from time to time. Mm-hmm. But to me, I have marching orders from Jesus about love. Mm-hmm. He said, stay there. <laughs> yeah. He said, stay there. Yeah. So I go, okay, my favorite thing, the best thing is to know the love of God. And he's asking me to stay in that. It's like I love ice cream and chocolate chip cookies it's like the Lord put a whole table of ice cream and chocolate chip cookies in front of me and said, eat this forever. <laughs> I, I swear. I mean, and that's how I feel about it. Yeah. I go, okay, so I'm going to stay in the love of God forever. Oh, wait, this is my eternal destiny. I'm going to marry the lamb. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like it's more of um, just staying there out of obedience and not necessarily like how you feel? Sometimes I feel it. Yeah. Sometimes I feel it more. Sometimes I feel it less. But there's, there's a feeling and then there's a knowing. Yeah. And I think for me, like, and that helps the cerebral people and the feeler people, the, you know, the heart people and the head people. Because to me, I think the knowing keeps me anchored when I'm not feeling it. Mm-hmm. And the feeling empowers the knowing, right. you know? When you're feeling it. Yeah, when I'm feeling it. But when I'm not feeling it, I still know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I, I, you know, my testimony is this. I was preaching it for 10 years. Now, I've been in this message now for, gosh, almost 18 years. But I was preaching it for 10 years, and there was this little internal dissonance. You know, like two notes that don't quite fit, and a wah, 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 wah. So I'd preach the love of God like this. People would be weeping. And on the inside, I was still not fully convinced. Uh And then I remember one day I was preaching it, and the dissonance was gone. And my heart was, it was harmonizing. 
yeah. with the words that were coming out of my mouth. And the reason why I think it took me that long is because I lived a long time in my life and in my Christianity working for love. Yeah. Literally, I got saved and I said, man, I went hard for the devil. I'm going to go hard for God because I want God to see that I'm sold out to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my mentality. Yeah, and the Lord's like, I, I don't actually need that from you to know that you're sold out, but okay. Yeah. And then he, what he does is he'll let you put the pedal to the metal until you burn yourself completely out and you're in a shambles and you're like, I need help. And he scoops you up and he goes, I've loved you this whole time. Now, you lived out something. Two, two quick points and then we're going to bring it to like just praying. But I'll give you a little bit of pushback from my perspective, me 10 years ago, whatever. Yeah. I, would have, I, would have, I would have had these two problems with this yeah. whole thing, right? Um, I would say one is this, is that this feels so irreverent. This feels irreverent to me. I mean, he's a king. Yeah. He's a king. This is like too much familiarity, too ooey gooey, too. I just, because my, my view of God in my theological training and education, you know, the deeper my theology goes, the higher my worship can go. I was just like, it just felt like, no, this seems, this seems irreverent to me. That's one, just one little piece. Could just address, that's been one of my problems. This just feels, ooh. The greatness of God, the, the, you know, I, I, the sovereignty of God, the greatness of God, the high view of God is one of the things that compels and empowers my theology. I, I, I have a very high view of God. Mm-hmm. And, and because of that, <laughs> the impact of the message of the fact that that God who is from everlasting to everlasting, who is infinite, who there is no end to him. Mm-hmm. I'll go a million years into the knowledge of God and I still won't even begin to to scratch the surface started, yeah. on the depth of who he is. That God, I mean, that God is a fire of love. Yeah. That is rich theology. So the, the thought of the fact that he is this great high God, the most high God, and who are you that you would regard me? Like the psalmist says, so, Psalm 8, I mean, you've made man a little lower. You've crowned him. What what is man that you're mindful of him? Yeah. I go, what? What? You great God, the king of all kings, you're radically in love. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's not about pitting one against the other. It's actually taking these truths that are in the scripture that are not in contradiction to one another. In our minds, we set up these false you know, yeah. you know, dichotomies. And the Lord goes, no, no, I am the great God of fire and power. And I am the height of passion and affection and love right. for you. So then. So when those married for me, it was, it's explosive. So then what do you tell the guy that's like, and he said, that seems kind of sexualized. Oh yeah. That's the I mean, last that's, thing. I mean, I mean, that seems kind of like, that yeah. just seems, I'm just being real. You know, yeah. that's, sure. that's a legitimate, like that just seems, that's why that's why I guess for me, it felt a little wonky. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, because it feels like that with bride, bridegroom. You know, we always think about honeymoon and all that. I mean, it's like, how do we, how do we reconcile that, that piece of it into the vocabulary the Bible is clearly using if that's, a, if, that's a men, if that's a mental block for people trying to enter into what you're talking about? Yeah, so we're never thinking this is a, a, a sexual deal, like human sexuality is created for a purpose. That's for another time, another, you know, discussion. But uh, we're never thinking anything like we're having sex with God. That's disgusting. 
that's perverse and wrong. And so when we see the Song of Solomon, we recognize these are metaphors. And God's given us marriage as a metaphor Mm -hmm. to speak of the infinite, eternal union that we're going to have with him, right? Mm -hmm. So he's given us a very human you know, experience that's comprehensive. It's spirit, soul, and body when you're married, right? You're joined to one another, spirit, soul, and body. He's given us this comprehensive human experience that is a testimony of our eternal experience with, with God, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not us having sex with him. So the, the, the metaphor, we don't turn that into Jesus is my boyfriend, yeah. you know, pucker up and give me a kiss, Jesus. Yeah. And even the language of Song of Solomon, it's an allegory. Yeah. It's figurative language that speaks to us of a spiritual truth. So it starts with, let him kiss me the kisses of his mouth. Well, what we realize he's talking about is the word of God that comes yeah. out of the mouth of Jesus. Yeah. So I never think, pucker up and give me a kiss, Jesus. Like, oh, that's not what we're doing. What we are doing is kiss my heart yeah. with revelation from your word. That's good, yeah. Release the spirit of revelation on me because that will cause me to soar to hypes heights of ecstasy and pleasure that I've never, ever dreamt in some sort of, you know, minor human kind of pleasure way. And so, uh, yeah, for, for, for me and for anybody that's like teaching biblical bridal paradigm, we're we're not taking human sexuality and sort of inserting that. We're actually seeing that, okay, this is a metaphor that speaks of a surpassing pleasure. That's not sexual. It's eternal and spiritual and very real yeah. between us with us and God. Because we have longings that God built us with. Totally. That that it's really only love that's going to satisfy that. One other one other quick pushback, and then we'll pray is is um um man, all y'all do is sit around and love on Jesus. Why don't you go into all the world and preach the gospel? Yeah. Right? Because I'd be like, Yeah, you pray one we got we, we actually got stuff to do, but you live this because you started it's a house of prayer. So true pray but something happened from that place of intimacy that you weren't necessarily looking for even or you didn't craft it or strategize it but it happened as a natural byproduct give us this that little piece of that yeah so i mean we believe for a long time that jesus the great intercessor is also jesus the one that's over the great commission right he's not two jesuses Mm -hmm. you know so he ever lives to make intercession for us at the right hand of the father and he's also the one that said go into all the world but when he said, do you see the harvest? He goes, it's white, isn't it? Now, pray. Yeah. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers in the harvest. What he's doing there is he's actually creating the pattern. It, 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 those very same disciples that he gave the great commission to, he says, wait until you're endued with power from on high. And, and, and then you're going to be witnesses to me, Jerusalem, Judea. So you Samaria. see the harvest. And so I think we missed this, right? We... oh. Uh, See the harvest go right then, but right. that's not what it says. It's not what it says. It's not what it says. We see that, and we don't. But we see, the, but pray to the Lord of the harvest. Yes, that He'll send forth laborers, and right. then guess what He does? He makes you the labor. So yeah. here's what we did. Yeah. We knew we had a mandate uh, to do 24-hour prayer. We knew that God given that to us prophetically, so clear. And then He gathered the people, impossible odds, impossible money. <laughs> he made it all happen. And, and so then we're, we're doing prayer. So we have this mandate we're, and we're, we're just calling people to prayer and intimacy. And we're getting a lot of people's hearts healed and God's moving in power and, and, and revelation is breaking forth and, 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 and this, this momentum is building through prayer, right? So what happens is without organizing it, 
I did not organize an outreach ministry at all. But without organizing it, the missionaries end up starting to do outreaches. So they were burning. So just for terms, you said the missionaries start doing outreach. outreaches. But use another word other than missionaries. These are people our who are staff. There are staff that are there to pray. They're not going to all the world preaching gospel. Right. Our full-time staff. Right. Yeah. We, so we we call them intercessory missionaries yeah. because they do prayer as the first work of ministry. They first minister to the heart of God. Gotcha. All right. Mm-hmm. And so the staff. So at that point, I think we had like 50 staff, something like that. And and we're, we're stewarding 24-7, which is a colossal work for 50 people. We didn't have anywhere near the number of volunteers. Like now we have a couple hundred volunteers. Then we just had like 50 staff and like, I don't know, like handfuls of volunteers. And uh, so the staff's carrying 24-7. Well, they start, because they're encountering the love of Jesus in the prayer room, they start getting Jesus' heart for the lost in a deep, mm. powerful way. Mm-hmm. And... Whereas in, in the past, whenever I'd heard evangelism taught, I was always a shame thing. You're going to blood on your hands if you don't go share the gospel yeah, with them. You're going right. you know, they're, they're to go to hell. It's going to be your fault. I mean, and, and just like really like, oh my God, I got to go share the gospel. I'm going to hell too. You know, almost a shame <laughs> thing. Well, these guys, we just got them so alive in the love of God and so aware of the hour we live in. Yeah. Biblically, what the Bible says about the end of the age. Intimacy that puts might on the inside and urgency that, that empowers passion, right? Yeah. And so uh, they started creating their own outreaches. And so they would just start organizing themselves. I wasn't giving any leadership to it. We didn't have an evangelism department. And they started creating their own outreaches. So we'd have one to the nursing home. Then we had one to the trailer park. Then we had one to the neighborhood. And, and overnight, we literally had outreach teams going out every single day, every single day of the week on a staff of 50 that was already doing 24-7 prayer. Yeah. But what had happened? They had fallen in love with Jesus, the bridegroom, and met Jesus, the great intercessor. Yeah. And when they fell in love with him, they fell in love with his heart, which was burning for those that don't know him. Mm. And they were compelled. The love of God compels them. And we had more evangelism going with a little staff of 50 in a community of 150 than I ever had when we were doing mega church. Yeah. We had more people engaged doing ministry. And now what that's morphed into is yeah. we have regular outreach, obviously from the, the church family. We, we, we have outreach from our neighborhoods to the nations, but it's morphed into outreach that's gone into unreached people groups across the nations. We, we have... 50 full-time, I think it's more than that now, staff that live overseas on six different missions bases that are doing prayer and outreach to the lost. And I was just even texting with one of our leaders today and they are so fired up about engaging Muslims. Right now they've just come through Ramadan and they're just so fired about reaching Muslims. And they're saying the call to prayer hasn't happened this entire time during the COVID-19 crisis because right. Muslims can't gather. And so the houses of prayer have continued praying while the Muslim house of prayer has been shut down and they mm-hmm. feel like there's this open door for the gospel in a way that they've never seen before. But that came out of not a strategizing outreach. It came out of us going hard into the heart of the Lord. So I just, I literally had the experience of trying to make evangelism happen yeah. versus getting people engaged with the heart of Jesus through prayer 
and I watched, if you just watched it, this amount of evangelism was happening when we tried to push people to evangelism, and this amount of evangelism was happening when we pushed people to intimacy with Jesus and knowledge of God. And so for me, I realized, oh, it, that's the Bible's yeah. method that we yeah. put people into his heart. They get his heartbeat. They get burning with his heartbeat. And then what they realize is they're burning for other people. Yeah. You know, so they're compelled by love instead of forced by shame yeah. to reach the lost. That's incredible. Well, so that's, that's the experience of it. No, sadly, we're running out of time. We, we just went to, way over. We need to way over. I want you to, I want you to. <laughs> I want you to pray, and and um, you know, Bible talks about we need to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to, and I I just feel like we we've been eating a lot of Alpo, and we don't even know there's a filet mignon, you know. And it's like there's us that are listening, you know. And I, I want you to pray for us and how to, to how we can enter into this. What are the, all right? Like if, I, if I'm if I'm sitting there right now, say, okay, I hear what you're saying. I, I, all right, what do I got to do? And that's part of the problem. I'm asking the question, Always what do. do I have to do? But Always that's, do. That, therein, lies the, therein lies the problem, yeah. what do I have to do? But there is a practical component sure. of being able to enter into that. I want, you, I want you to pray for us and just you know, wrap up how you're led. But before that, I'm, I'm putting Billy under a little bit of pressure in the, um, in the fall to do a Sunday morning, basically preaching series out of the Song of Solomon. I love Wouldn't that. you love that? I mean, really, I to that. do a Sunday morning sermon <laughs> yes. series out of the book of out of that book that hardly nobody has read or skipped over or kind of laughed at, quite frankly, but 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 with that superimposed lens of that we're going to marry Jesus and what does that Ooh. mean then? What is it? What is it? What does it mean now? And I believe we're hungry. I'm hungry for it. I know you guys are as well. But anyway, yeah, maybe in the fall. But how can how can those of us? What do we need to do knowing that necessarily doing is not the answer? Yeah, you know the, the message I preached a few Sundays ago on abiding really enables us to practically apprehend what it means to live in intimacy with Jesus. And, and here's the thing. When you feel yourself coming back under shame or under a performance mentality or frustrated with your circumstances, if, if you can come back to this point that the whole purpose is love, knowing the love of God and allowing his love to transform you, then these challenges in our lives, we can contextualize them properly. And so I think it's simple as this. It's daily looking to Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, let's look to Jesus. Look, set our eyes on him. Colossians 3, let's set our eyes on him who's at the right hand of the Father. Daily sitting with Jesus. And you don't have to sit down with him for five hours. Mm-hmm. You can sit down with him. Some of you, you're, you're business people. You're literally up at 6 a.m. and you're out the door by 6.30 and you are working. And, and I get it. And even right now in this COVID-19, you're still in that zone. Oh, you're a mom with four little kids. Yeah, right? you're a mom. You know, mom life, I have such respect. But you're a mom with four little kids and they are the alarm clock, <laughs> you know, and they wake you up and it's game on from that moment forward so you can, you know, put them to bed. But it really is about getting that moment with him. You can get that moment with him, that five minutes where you, where you just lock eyes with Jesus. Now, if you got more time, do more time, like for real, like long loving hours of devotion. You cannot go wrong. But if it, even if it's that five minutes, and here's what I do. I lock eyes with him. And I can't tell you how many times I've prayed this prayer. I prayed it a lot. I say, tell me again that you love me. 
Tell me again. And this is what I realized. He's infinite, which means he's infinitely patient. Love is patient. So he has no problem telling me over and over and over again until my heart gets it. And some of us, we've heard the message. You've heard me preach it. You've heard it before. And you feel like, man, it just, it's, not, it's not landing. Ask him to tell you. Jesus, make it real to my heart. That's what I've, pr- I prayed that so many times. Make it real to my heart. And I don't know exactly when or where. I've had many encounters in the love of God. But somewhere that internal dissonance, it turned into harmony. And my internal sound, first, the, the sound of the word, they were matching. And man, it's a game changer. So I wanna pray for you. I just wanna pray that God would even right this second just rush upon you with the encounter of the love of God. Just, just pray with me. Lord, right now, we open our hearts. I, I pray, break the concept, the cliche of this concept. Break it. And let us recognize that the love of God is the reason why you made us. Knowing the love of God is our purpose. Being loved by God, that's what, that's what we're made for. That is the glory of God, to accept and return his love. So Father, I'm asking right now, <sighs> release fire. The fire of your love. Break performance mentalities. Break shame in the name of Jesus. He doesn't love you less when you fail. He doesn't love you more when you do well. He loves you because he loves and he is love. Lord, let the fire of your love right now overwhelm hearts. Lord, you've brought me to my knees so many times under the wonder of your affections for me. Do that right now for so many. That we would be compelled by love. We'd live by love. We love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We'd love others the way we love ourselves. That the fruit of the Spirit would birth forth from love. We'd abide in your love. We might have confidence. Let that fiery seal, that Song of Solomon 8, fiery seal of love, release it right now. Set your seal on our hearts. Love as strong as death. Jealousy as cruel as the grave. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot overwhelm it. It's a very vehement flame. The very flame of God right now. (sighs) Release. Lord, cause us to grow in love, to mature in love. We give you thanks for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen.